and welcome to SirCast, your monthly podcast soak up for the latest and greatest in evidence-based practice in physical therapy. Thanks for having us back. Last month, we got to talk to you guys about the new clinical prediction rule for low back pain, and a lot of the discussion focused on the ideas of transitioning someone from an acute management all the way to functional optimization. Well, that, paired with a few other twists and turns, has led us to our topic this month. We're going to be talking about the idea of core stabilization, uh, what that means, how it relates to patient care, and maybe what we can change about the way we educate and treat our patients as it relates to this topic. The best part about this is kind of how the topic came to be. So Riley, if you want to tell the, the folks at home kind of what spurred this conversation. So the inspiration behind this episode uh, stemmed from a conversation between myself and Brian Barker, who is a former CERC therapist who went through residency training with us. And uh, we were talking about patient care, talking about treatment one day, and we both kind of come from our own biases. And my bias being exercise and active treatment. On the other hand, Brian's really passionate about manual therapy. He takes a lot of continuing education courses, and he gets really excited about it. So we were having one of these... Uh, discussions or debates and it was getting a little bit heated on this particular occasion (laughs) and so about 10 minutes after I got off the phone with him I get a text message and it just says Smith 2015 and that's it that's how I text everyone by the way (laughs) (laughs) just research references (laughs) and so I go online and I pull up the article and uh, it's um, this new 2014 systematic review and meta-analysis of stabilization exercises for low back pain and admittedly i go straight to the abstract and straight to the conclusion sentence who doesn't i mean and (laughs) i'm going to read it to you guys it says there's strong evidence stabilization exercises are not more effective than any other form of exercise in the long term The low levels of heterogeneity and large number of high methodological quality of available studies at long-term follow-up strengthen our current findings and further research is unlikely to considerably alter this conclusion. So basically just very decisively with this very high quality study saying core stabilization exercises do not work better than any other type of exercise. So I'm pretty revved up at this point after reading that (laughs) and a little bit angry and so I have to go and read like the whole article now because I have to come up with some argument back at Brian. And so I'm really glad I did because as I'm reading through this, what I found out was that what this particular study means by core stabilization exercises is not what I mean when I'm talking about core stabilization exercises. And so I realized that there's really no common definition and you know the word stabilization is just thrown around not only in our profession all the time but in you know the fitness community um, all sorts of different uh, sports professions exercise professions and does anybody know what it means everybody means something different I think and so I thought this would be a really good topic for this month's discussion 
We agree. That's why we're doing it. I concur. I concur. <laughs> That's why I like you guys. <laughs> so, Riley, how did this study define core stability? Let's maybe start there and, and then meander through it from there. What? How did this study define it? Okay, so their operational definition for this study um, was, and I'll, and I'll quote it directly from the study, defined as facilitation of deep muscles of the spine, primarily transverse abdominis or multifidus, at low level, integrated into exercise, progressing into functional activity. So again, that's a pretty general statement, even in itself. But I went through and I actually read through the methodology of each study, and I kind of kind of grouped them together into themes. So basically all of the all the core stabilization groups, they were all teaching them an abdominal drawing in maneuver, which is the pull the belly button in, get a TA contraction, get a co-contraction of the multifidus. Every every stabilization exercise included the abdominal drawing in maneuver. And then most of them not only included contracting that in isolation, but then perform a abdominal drawing in maneuver and then do a squat or and then do you know a plank do it before set brace that before every exercise that you do and in contrast what they called general exercise was basically doing all those same types of exercises but they weren't trying to to isolate out the ta they weren't pulling their belly button in or it's called ADIM is the acronym. So the main difference here is not the necessarily the bulk exercise that a patient is doing. It's whether or not they've pretensed the the core, as you would call it, or the abdominal lumbopelvic region before doing it or not. So we're comparing, you know, exercise A with exercise A plus TA, correct? Exactly. That that was the bulk of all the studies. There was a few studies that you know. We're comparing it to like a program that only included stretching, but that was that was the minority. So I think the first question that's going to pop up with some people is going to be, is it not okay to exercise your low back pain patients? Is it not helpful? And my understanding here, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like that the exercise in general was helpful. It's just that the addition of the TA or multifidus contractions didn't add anything to it. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's exactly the conclusion um, from this, not only this study, but there's been a similar systematic review performed since 2008. There's been about four systematic reviews, and as new, new randomized control trials come out, they just add that into the pool of data, and every single one has reached the exact same conclusion. It's that the treatments are effective, patients had decreased pain, decreased disability after performing the exercises, but they all concluded that core stabilization wasn't better than what they're calling general exercise. So it sounds like maybe they're, uh, you know, you talked about how general the idea of core stabilization is. And I think there's probably some listeners out there saying, well, that's, that's kind of what I do already. But there is a lot of parity as far as how we use that term. So we actually had, uh, Riley went out on the streets, uh, Jay Leno style, and uh, <laughs> she, talked to, she talked to some PTs and got some, some quotes about what different therapists in our company consider core stabilization. Uh, so would you care to view your jaywalking uh, sure. results with the general public? The, the streets of Cirque. The streets. They're called, pretty rough. It's yeah. a rough place. The streets of Cirque. All right. Really Let's hear about the streets of Cirque. Um, okay, so I asked a few of my coworkers. I just said, core stabilization. When I say core stabilization exercise, what does that mean to you? And 
I, I got actually similar answers from all of them. They, they said um, it involved contracting the deep abdominal muscles, uh, strengthening the trunk muscles, strengthening the hip muscles, and then integrating it into functional exercise. So none of them, none of them mentioned an abdominal drawing in maneuver mm -hmm. at all. In fact, none of them mentioned really doing isolated TA contraction. Um, they were talking more about trunk strengthening, hip strengthening, and functional exercise. One said it was anything from really basic pelvic tilts to agility exercises, like in a low back pain patients. She said all of that was core stabilization. I have a quote from one coworker who responded to me by email, Micah Hilton. And she shout said, out. <laughs> shout out to Micah. She said, uh, core stabilization to me applies to motor control of the core and trunk to allow optimal performance in the extremities. And I like that definition as well. So it seems like the way that at least therapists within our company are talking about core stabilization is actually what this article is referring to as general exercise. So there's a big discrepancy in what that term means. So Riley, I completely agree with you in terms of the discrepancies between what you know core stabilization or the term general exercise means to um, to therapists, to our patients, you know, and we ourselves can have different understandings of terms over time as we learn and experience more. Kind of like Peter O'Sullivan, who used to uh, really push um, or notably embody, as Matt says, uh, core stabilization, and now you know is had a huge paradigm shift in terms of how he feels about it. I think it's a good point. You know, there was a, he had an interesting interview and we have it queued up for you guys here, a little, little uh, special dish out. Um, but he talks about this, this shift away from the idea of pretensing an area of, you know, constantly contracting an area and thinking more about healthy movement patterns and appropriately envisioning parts of our body as far as how they move. So and we're going to play this interview really quick for you guys or just a, a segment from it. Uh, we don't think pretensing your body before you move is normal. And there's a general belief out there that if you pretense your core when you move, it's better for you and there's very little evidence for that. Um, in fact, we see numerous cases where that in fact is very provocative. Um, but that tends to be the common belief that your back is vulnerable, so you've got to pretense your back before you lift. It's probably very unhelpful. It's certainly not natural. But we know, so we know that movement is healthy. We know that physical activity is very good. We know that sedentary behaviours are unhelpful. We know that thinking positively about the structure of the spine—it's a robust, strong structure that should be trusted. We know that a whole bunch of things that you might see in an MRI scan are not predictive of pain. So we would get people to think much more positively about the back, um, that they don't have to spend their time attending to the back and strengthening their core and bracing their muscles when they move, that they need to trust their body more and develop normal, healthy patterns of movement and lifestyle. And that's probably going to have a much longer beneficial impact on their back than spending a lot of time focusing abnormally on muscles that just should be doing their job without us thinking about it on a day-to-day -day basis. So something that kind of jumped out at me while he was talking was um, about feeling like your back is vulnerable and something's going to happen so you have to pretense it. You know, how does that pretensing play a role into fear avoidance especially? And then, you know, our patient's definitions of core stabilization. I feel like a question I get frequently is, you know, does that mean I'm unstable? Like if I move wrong, like my disc is gonna shoot out of my back. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good discussion to have, and I know that there's been a lot of discussion within the PT community about even the word stability, because the use of the word stability, that you need stability, implies in some level that you currently do not have it, you don't possess it. And sometimes even our language, talking about this maybe uh, in a healthier way, as Peter uh, mentioned in this interview, um, such as the idea that you need to move your back better, not necessarily pretense it, but you just need to move better, that your movement pattern needs to be more natural or more appropriate, is going to have a larger and more robust impact on the patient compared to telling them how to isolate pretense their low back. You know, later in this interview, he makes the point, we don't do this anywhere else in the body. You know, we don't pretense our knee before we take a step. We don't pretense our shoulder before we pick up a grocery bag. This is not necessarily a natural thing. Now that said, what do you guys think about? Because you know, Peter is now on the has swung the other the other way on the pendulum. Do you think there's ever a time and place in which we should educate? patients on this because I feel like there's going to be a lot of people yelling at the phone lines that we don't currently own right now uh, who are going to say like, hey, there's probably an appropriate time and place. I agree with what Peter O'Sullivan says in that there's definitely the occasion where patients are overbracing or they're way too hypertonic um, and that's causing more pain and it's, it's causing them to not move as freely. And that it, it could even be associated with fear avoidance behavior. Like, I'm bracing because I'm, I'm scared to move. But I also think that the exact opposite occurs. So I, I do think he's swaying way too far one direction because there's a lot of patients who, on the contrary, are going to shy away from movements and not activate those muscles at all because they're scared to activate them. So you could say fear avoidance in not bracing enough. I mean, I, I see that in my personal experience in the clinic, I see that as well. And I would even argue that you do do it in other areas of the body. It might not be in as many circumstances as the lower back. So I think like when you're going to lift something really heavy, you know, maybe you're going to pick up a piece of furniture. Maybe you should pretense, maybe you should pretense. And maybe there's not as many situations in the shoulder, but let's say, you know, you're holding your arm out and you're bracing and then for some kind of impact. You know, maybe you're catching a ball that's flying your way really fast. You're gonna pretense and you should pretense. I mean, you do a scap set before you raise your arm. You know, when you're talking about like a rotator cuff, you're talking about scapular mm-hmm. engagement before you raise your arm or I think hey, that, pull your shoulders back before you lift this box. I mean, right. there's certainly other ways you do, but it, I think that just goes back to more like body awareness and motor control. And So I think maybe an alternate way of seeing this, at least from my perspective, is, and you kind of talked about pretensing for catching a ball or something like that, um, and off air in our pre-production meeting, these very important pre-production <laughs> meetings, Casey brought up the idea of kind of a scapular position before you do kind of some kind of shoulder move, motion. I, I think that it's more than semantics. And that point, we're teaching good movement patterns. We're saying the scapula should be in this position for this movement. Your arm should be in this pr- position for this impact that's coming. And I think the education part and especially how we talk to our patients about this should be more about this is the right way to move and maybe not necessarily cueing them into the idea that if they're not stabilized in this position that their back is going to squirt out in 20 directions (laughs) (laughs) so just i don't know personal thought i'm picturing the disc as like icing between the middle of the oreo I hear one more person say jelly donuts to a patient, I'm going to lose my mind. 
<laughs> no, it's not but, a jelly donut. <laughs> I, I totally agree. It's about the language that you use, and it's it's going to be specific for specific functional tasks. So, like when you're just bending down to pick up a sock off the floor, you don't have to to brace. So you don't, you know, maybe you have a very low grade TA contraction going on, but you don't need to actively tighten everything. But you know, when you're about to do a 200 pound deadlift you probably do need to tighten up before you ever go to lift that you need to be braced so and that is a good point it's probably a discussion for another time we're talking about in large part patients um who are trying to get back to regular functional activity Mm -hmm. there's a huge difference between this and increasing your inner abdominal pressure for high level competitive deadlifts so that's a different discussion obviously it's a different functional output that you're seeking or searching for Mm -hmm. Uh, but certainly probably a a great discussion unto itself for our crossfitting (laughs) olympic weightlifting uh listeners (laughs) out there well and hopefully it's something that eventually you know i'd argue that it's a continuum it's not whether you're bracing or not the more you load you're about to lift the more muscle tension you need to lift it so sometimes it's something that people intuitively or automatically will do before they lift something but those people with a lot of lower back dysfunction can't or they don't know how so you have to give them a little bit of help in cueing all right so uh we're getting some reaction on the at circcast twitter feed please don't go check it right now and verify that i'm telling the truth but uh (laughs) at ta master uh, is tweeting at us and uh at ta master has a question for you riley he said is there any harm in teaching a ta am i it maybe i'm not doing any good but am i am i harming the patient especially since i'm a ta master definitely not there there's no evidence for that um peter sullivan was sort of suggesting that but there's really no evidence and this is the highest quality evidence that you can get um i i kind of broke the studies down into different categories on what conclusions they found out of out of 17 where they listed um, everything out. Ten of them showed no difference um, whether they did these ab- abdominal drawing and maneuvers or not. Three of them showed that patients did better when they did do abdominal drawing and maneuvers, and only one showed that they did better without these maneuvers. Many of the studies that showed no difference, in fact, the overall conclusion when they pooled the data was that there was some statistical significance that what they're calling stabilization exercises. Uh, showed increased benefit, but there was no clinically significant difference. So there's probably something to it, but it's not going to make a difference. It's not going to make a big tangible difference in your outcomes, whether you do it or not. It's not that important, apparently. So TA Master, you can keep doing them to some degree, but you got to transition patients into normal, healthy movement patterns (laughs) for the most part, I'd say. I guess my thought is, is while it may not be clinically significant, like a lot of things that we do in the clinic, that doesn't mean that they're not clinically meaningful um, to our patients and to the person that we have in front of us. Um, So, you know, I guess where I feel like this has a place, um, you know, this abdominal drawing and maneuver um, or core stabilization exercises, however you want to define it. but you know, these are building blocks for somebody who is not body aware or, you know, not your hypertonic individual, but somebody with very low tone or doesn't understand how they move. You know, this is a great 
starting point for them to be more aware of their core and be more aware of their body. So as you progress them into more functional movements, you know, they have a solid foundation, which is essentially what you're trying to build anyway. So I know our listeners are just dying to hear what this panel of awesomes, uh, maybe how we educate our patients on core stabilization uh, and maybe what we do with them. So what we're going to do is we're going to go around the table here um, and we're going to add to Riley's street side quotes um, about kind of how we teach core stabilization and how about everybody give one exercise that they just love to do uh, for your low back pain population. And Riley. When, I, when I'm kind of building a, a foundation to progress them to higher level functional activities, I want them to be able to know how to move their lower back and where their lower back is in space. So I, tr- I just try and supine first usually. Can they, can they flex their lumbar spine or essentially do a posterior pelvic tilt? And actually, can they arch it? Can they go the other way? And I want them to be able to find that really quick. And I, I'll give them like a simple cue, like round your back, arch your back, round your back, arch your back. It's shocking the number of people that that is an extreme challenge for them, particularly rounding their lower back. If they can't do it, I'll try in different positions. I'll put them in quadrupeds, see if they can do cat camel. Then they'll figure it out in quadruped, and then I can take them back. Because then when I'm getting them up into functional positions and we're trying to do squats, we're trying to do lifting, I can just give them a cue. No, you're arching too much. Round your back more. Um, and And then they're able to make that correction. If I don't lay that foundation first, I find that they get really confused and kind of frustrated at my cues because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Dr. Longquist? I find myself, and this is another shout out to Mike Hilton, um, I find myself using a hip hinge a lot and teaching almost like a tiny little baby um, deadlift, if you will, to improve people's awareness of their pelvis and how it relates to their low back. Um, one of the things I look for when I'm testing, um, just you know, getting objective measurements, especially with lumbar range of motion, is how many people don't move their pelvis enough when I'm just looking at their range of motion. So that's something that you know I maybe integrate later, but it definitely always gets integrated because so many people are unaware of that relationship. So I like that one. Uh, for myself, the first thing I always like to do is start with the discussion of, of the core. I think it's a word we throw around a lot, and I think everyone's got a little bit of a different definition of what it is. Um, so I always start with most of my patients about describing the idea that the core is anything that attaches to the pelvis, um, which is just my own personal definition. I don't really have that rooted in any kind of systematic review or anything. Um, but talking about that there are a lot of muscles involved in stabilizing one's lower trunk or moving one's lower trunk in an appropriate fashion, and that what I'm concerned with is appropriate and healthy movement patterns and not necessarily stiff stability uh, during movement patterns. So I try to carry that discussion in. What Riley said about moving just from A to P in the lumbar spine is absolutely true. I find that more patients than not have a difficulty even with that task. So um, I like planks, I like squats, I like things that are functional and movement based, Um, but my discussion with them is always using the quote unquote core muscles from the hips 
to um, the abdominal muscles, to the low back musculature in happy unison so that we have healthy movement patterns that are nice and dynamic and not necessarily rigid and forced movement patterns. Uh, so with all that said, we're coming close to the end of this episode. Uh, what started this whole thing is a feud between Riley and Brian Barker. So we had to pick a winner. It's not um, unlike what started Circast. It's, not unli- <laughs> it's actually not unlike what started this entire podcast. So we're all going to go around and vote for who the winner is, whether it's Brian or Riley. I'll go first. It's Riley because she's sitting next to me and can beat me up. I'm definitely hashtag Team Riley. Hashtag Team Riley. Hashtag clinically meaningful. I'm going to say that my definition for core stability is the right definition. And therefore, I'm going to throw out this this study. All right. So Smith 2015 has been thrown out. The, The lone text message from Brian has been deleted. And once again, the Circast team has rendered a just and right uh, verdict. So we thank you guys so much for being a part of this discussion. Please hit us up at the at Circast Casey Twitter feed. Send us your questions. Maybe send to the, the Twitter feed kind of how you define core stability and um, some things that you do with your patients. Uh, we love discussing these things with you guys online. It's, it's really fun to interact with you all. So until next time, thanks for listening. We'll be back next month. Thank you.